going on, everybody? Welcome to First Pitch 305. I am your host, Alex Aguirre, and welcome to Episode 6 of First Pitch 305. We got so much to talk about. A lot of breaking news, or fairly breaking news, that happened uh, last night for the Miami Marlins. And joining me for today's episode, I got two guests this time. My first guest, you know him from last episode, he is Andres Bolivar. He is the beat writer for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Miami Marlins for Con Las Bases Llenas. And my second guest, he's new on the show, but he's not new to me and new to the press box. He's, he's very popular also for Marlins fans. I'm sure you've seen his face plenty of times on the, on the scoreboard making Miami. Kevin Barral, the Marlins beat writer and reporter for Fist Stripes. He's also the co-host of Fist Stripes Un Unfiltered. Kevin, Andres, welcome, guys. Man, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. Thank you for the kind words, and, and, I'm, and I'm excited, man. Max Meyer's up. Sandy's pitching today. It can't be better. can't be better to be a Marlins fan now. Andres, como esta? Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Kevin. Like, it's good to be back on the podcast. And, yeah, we have Max Meyer and Sandy Alcantara this weekend. Well, Friday and Saturday. It's going to be amazing. And the Marlins could be playing for 500. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We got a lot to talk about. Yes, as you heard from Kevin and Andres, Max Meyer has been called up to the show. He's been called up to the big leagues for the Miami Marlins. Um, he will be making his major league debut on Saturday. Um, the Mar Miami Marlins are going to be starting a three-game series today. We're recording this podcast on July 15th in the morning. Um, so they're going to have a three-game series to close out the first half of the season against the Phillies. And Max Meyer... Uh, will be pitching and starting on Saturday following Sandy on, on Friday. Um, guys, um, this is amazing news for all for everyone, for all Marlins fans. I feel like we've been wanting to hear this for such a long time now. Um, I'm gonna start with you, Kevin. Um, um, what do you the impact of Max Meyer, the immediate impact, what can he what can he bring to the table? What can he bring to Miami for the second half of the season? He's gonna bring just absolutely absolute dominance on the mound. I mean, we saw what he did since the moment he was drafted, although all of us were shocked because many expected Ace Lacey to be the guy drafted for the Marlins. Max mm -hmm. Meyer, he brought you that reliever starter dynamic where he could be a good relief pitcher if the starting didn't work out. And that's what we thought he would be at the start of the season just due to how good that rotation was and you know, not knowing how bad Eliezer would be or how Trevor would regress, but... Max Meyer, then, you know, you enter a couple months into the season, you're like, Max Meyer needs to be in the starting rotation. The team wouldn't bring him up. The team wouldn't bring him up. And now you, we saw that designation of Lewis Hedward. You know, he was claimed off of waivers. Something started brewing there, right there. And I was and I was talking to Andres. We, we were going up to the stadium, and I was telling him, I think this is for either Max Meyer or George Soriano, which is a minor league prospect, highly touted guy. He's a reliever. He would be a huge impact to this team. And it's Max Meyer. Um, you know, this kind of bumps out Dan Castellan out of the rotation. Unfortunately, Trevor gets a day now. He, he His day is bumped down one, so he would be starting on that Sunday game against uh, Aranola. So, I mean, Max Meyer, man, he, he's just such a good pitcher. The way he started in AAA, he pretty much was knocking down the door of the major leagues by then. And we saw what he did in spring training against the New York Mets. He dominated four scoreless innings, four, uh, four no-hit innings, five strikeouts. He struck out real major leaguers. I think Luis Guillaume was one of them. Dom Smith, he struck out. So this is such a good call-up at this moment as well. The team, as Andres mentioned, they were playing for 500. Max Meyer could be pitching the game that puts Miami 
at 44 and 44 at 500. So it's such a huge call up. Also, you winning move. You, people could say this isn't a winning move, but I don't think they would have done this if they weren't in the position they are right now. If this team was 10, 15 games under, I don't think they would have called up Max Miles September at least. Um, no, I couldn't agree more with you, Kevin. I couldn't agree that like if the team wasn't in this position, then you have so you have a different direction you can take, and that maybe that is not competing, maybe giving the other other players opportunities to play. It it could have played out so differently for the Miami Marlins if they didn't play this well in the month of July. Andres, I want to get your opinion. I want to get your take on the impact Max Meyer will have um, on the Marlins, not this season, but in the future years to come, because he's, you know, he is extremely talented. And I, I would assume the Miami Marlins will like to have him as a core piece for the rotation in the future. Ale, nosotros, uh, we talk about this on, on the last episode. Mm -hmm. and, and mencionamos lo importante que era para los Marlins tener a, tener a los jugadores jóvenes eh, y darle la oportunidad. Creo que llega un momento ideal cuando los Marlins tienen algo que decidir si van a ser compradores o vendedores o qué va a pasar en la temporada y lo que estamos viendo pero en el futuro creo que Max Mayer va a ser tan importante como lo es Sandy Alcántara y como lo es Pablo López eh, va a estar peleando probablemente por el segundo puesto en la rotación con Pablo eso lo veremos de aquí a que se acabe la temporada y cómo los resultados que va a tener eh, en estas aperturas pero simplemente es impresionante, you know? eh, era el momento y los, los fanáticos de los Marlins eh, querían este llamado. Uh, creo que llega un momento donde el equipo eh, tiene una, no, no la mejor racha porque hemos, han tenido mejores, pero es un buen momento y el equipo está cerca otra vez de, de jugar para 500. Y obviamente traerlo después de Sandy Alcántara es como, ok, viste lo que está haciendo este, queremos que tú hagas lo mismo que él y te queremos aquí para esto mismo. Más allá de, de, las, de las estadísticas que mencionó Kevin, um, dejó 199 ponches en las ligas menores, 199, and 172 innings. And that's savage. That's wild. Uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's more than a strikeout. In, it's a little more than a strikeout in inning. You know, like he he's putting his mark, his impact on the game inning by inning, which is great. And I love that you mentioned, Andres, um, Sandy, pitching after Sandy. I feel like that's the, the, the candidate on purpose, you know, um, because who wouldn't want to pitch behind a pitcher like Sandy Alcantara or Pablo Lopez, for that matter? Because you did mention that, yeah, Max Meyer could compete for that number two spot. I feel like that's an interesting take that we can possibly see for next season. But who, would, who, who wouldn't want to have a three-headed dragon of a rotation with Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara, and... Max Meyer, hopefully everything, you know, comes mm -hmm. through this for this for the second half of this season. So it can like he can build momentum for the next season. But I couldn't agree more with you, Andres. The guidance of Sandy Alcantara is going to be so important for Max Meyer because that he can see firsthand what a true ace at the MLB level is. So I, I it's I think it's a great time to call him up. You know, I'm not going to compare this to um, the call up of Miguel Cabrera in 03 and that push that they had. But we do see this often with other teams in, in baseball that, you know, uh, a midseason call up for a highly, you know, uh, a top prospect. And it gives them that boost, maybe to the playoffs or maybe for a better record for, to, to look for, for for the following season. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Marlins continue because they, they're right now in July, they're nine and five, I believe. 
And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to end July, they're going to be still winning games. They're going to finish July with a winning record. And I feel like Max Meyer will provide that boost to, to finish with a winning record in July and hopefully for the rest of the season. But guys, I'm and you huh? talk about teams calling up these young guys. Look at the Baltimore Orioles. Adley Rutschman is up. Austin Hazy's been there up for a while, and so many exactly. other guys. That's a team that's winning games. They're ten they're in, in a row. Five hundred. Yeah. They're five hundred. They're right in it. They're gonna be buyers in the deadline. I would be surprised if they sell. That team is a team full of young guys, and that's what we're seeing. The Detroit Tigers. Who well, I was about to say the Lions. There, hmm. they called up. Um, Torkelson, Ryan Green. They're calling up guys. These teams that have really good farm systems of Seattle Mariners, they called up Kirby, Kirby, um, George Kirby the other day or a couple of weeks ago. So Miami now needs to start doing that a little bit more. And this is an amazing first step to call up probably your best pitching prospect. I know Yuri's the best, but the best pitching prospect that is right there to make it to the big leagues, that is Max Meyer. And that's what they did last night, very late last night. And, yeah, right. and, you're saying that is what you're saying? Yeah, it, the, the most, we have a lot of time without seeing somebody like with the hype, you know. Um, mm -hmm. eh, que los Marlins uh, llamaran a alguien que usara tanto, tanta sensación. Teníamos mucho tiempo sin ver eso. Eh, y creo que lo mencionamos en el episodio también anterior, uh, Alex, about Baltimore. I told you, eh, yeah. ellos están llamando a sus prospectos, están haciendo eso y los Marlins no. Eh, y bueno, esperemos que este sea el punto donde los Marlins entiendan que they need the younger players. No, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Andres, that it was just a matter of time when they were going to call up Meyer. I know he had a little bit of an injury earlier in the season, bounced back well. like so. Um, but it, we were hoping, I know we talked about it last episode for the position players, like, are they going to get this opportunity to play or not? Are they going to be called up? What is the direction of this franchise? Are they going to go with the youth for the rest of the season? Are they going to, okay, like, let's let's see if we can try to figure this out with the players we have right now on the roster. And as we saw, and that was right before the month of July. And we all said it depended on how they performed before the All-Star break for the, for the month of July. So as of now, with the roster constructed as it is, down a, a very important pieces, they're still winning ball games. So I feel like this is a good transition into um, our next segment of the show, which is we called the month of July the most important month of the season for the Miami Marlins. And I'm, you know, Kevin talked about it. Andres and I talked about it as well last week on the on the podcast. Um, Kevin, I want to start off with you just to give me, give me your overall take, your overall um, perspective on the Marlins' per performance so far in July. It's what it's what it should have been, you know. It's mm -hmm. what it it was as, as expected, I would say. Except that Pittsburgh series, I think they should have taken three out of four. But agreed, you know, you, you're supposed to beat the Nats. The Angels weren't that good, so I'm glad they split against the Angels. The Mets, very surprised they took two out two out of the four there, and they split. Uh, and then the Pirates, that was very disappointing to see how they played against that team. And I know they don't have Jorge Soler. I know they don't have Jazz Chisholm Jr. But you're still supposed to beat a team in the Pittsburgh Pirates that isn't even at 40 wins yet. A team that you're supposed to beat every time you see them, just like you've done with the Nationals this season. Very surprised you couldn't do that, but I'm, I like how they played against the Mets after losing 10-0 in the first game. They kept it close in the next three games, and, and, and I know Tanner Scott really messed it up there. He couldn't get that throw the first, but they would have taken three out of four, and this team would be one game under 500. Sandy would be pitching tonight to hit 500 for I think like the second time or third this season that they would be at 500. So 
besides that, I mean, the Pirates series, I think that's the one we really have to look at and say, yikes, this offense really disappointed. Joey Wendell had a good series. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. I mean, it's Joey Wendell. Garrett Cooper got injured throughout this series. We saw it live. We'll see what happens. But this month of July has been as expected. You're supposed to be be beating these teams that aren't as good in the Pirates, the Nats. Now you have the Reds coming up. You have the Pirates once again in the three-game set. You're supposed to sweep. We remember last time the Pirates ended Miami's playoff chances in 2021 in Pittsburgh, taking three out of four. That was to Jacob Stallings' walk-off game, and that was not good. So it's been as expected. I'll say that. I mean, we got to see Shohei Otani in person, Sandy. We got to see Mike Trout this month. It, it, it's been a fun month, and they've stayed over 500 this month as well, which is highly encouraging. And we have to talk about the man that's just been dominating this month of July, and Sandy Alcantara who has a 0.00 ERA in, I think it's three or four starts already, 1-0 record. The guy has just been straight dominance. He is your NL. He has to be your NL Scion. He has to be your NL All-Star starting pitcher. And Garrett Cooper made the All-Star team as well this month. It's been a very successful month. And, you know, we talk about how much this means for the rest of the season. This means Miami needs to be a buyer in the deadline. We were coming into this month saying, all right, it's looking like they're going to sell. But since they're not playing the best teams, they'll be able to salvage some wins and gain some ground. That's what they've done with this month of the season, and I'm very happy and pleased with what they've done, especially with performances. Like, I know we could talk about Trevor and how he maybe needs a trip down to AAA. He's been pitching a lot better. I, I know it, towards, you know, that Angels game, the second game when he goes up against Otani, he dominates the first time through the lineup. He just couldn't get it through the second time. And then we talk about the game against the Pirates. I think it was against the Pirates. I think it was game one where he pitched. He doesn't get through the first part of the line of the best, but then after that, it's just absolute dominance the rest of the way through. So if Trevor could just just bring back the 2021 Trevor, I think this month would have gone a lot better and they would have salvaged at least one or two more wins. Yeah, there was a couple games. Um, I know one game, the Tanner Scott game in New York, and then there's one probably, probably one Pittsburgh game. But other than that, I feel like you know the losses are gonna happen, especially the you know, the blowouts, a 10 0 loss against New York. That's going to happen once in a while in, in baseball. You're going to be on the other side of that as well. So, um, but I'm really happy with their performance so far in July. Andres, um, Sandy's been dominating. The team has not been hitting very well, though. Um, Jazz has been out. Soler ha has been out. But overall, they're winning games still. They're finding ways to win games. Um, but does it concern you that the offense is, is like this right now um, leading into the All-Star break? Yeah, look, um. First of all, quería decir algo a lo que estaba diciendo um, Kevin. Um, mm -hmm. Sandy lleva cero uh, de efectividad en dos apariciones y yeah. son 15 innings. Uh, that's, eso es amazing y eso habla mucho de lo que estamos viendo de Sandy Alcántara y no es nada nuevo. And then, uh, los Marlins uh, no tienen a, a Jazz, como dijiste, no tienen a, a Soler. Pero aún así siguen ganando juegos y, y es importante lo que han hecho piezas como bueno, Billy Hamilton incluso nada más corriendo las bases. Uh, Joey Wendell, que creo que es una de las mejores adquisiciones, si no decir la mejor adquisición de los Marlins de esta temporada. Mm -hmm. eh, son, y bueno, Gary Cooper, que eh, tuvo mala suerte y esperemos verlo en el All-Star Game. Pero sí, son jugadores que los Marlins van a necesitar, sobre todo mientras eh, Jazz está fuera. Soler debe estar pronto, pronto para volver. Y estaba por conseguir el récord de los Marlins uh, con, sin Jazz Shields Hall 
en el, en el line-up y tienen récord positivo. Juegan, tienen 16 victorias y 12 derrotas cuando Jazz Chisho no está en el line-up. Y es impresionante porque Jazz, eh, a, antes de julio, era líder en, en toda la ofensiva de los Marlins. Y, uh -huh. que, y que aún puedas ganar juegos sin tu mejor jugador, eh, que, al menos bateando, eso habla mucho del equipo. También, Ale, eh, los Marlins tienen algo que, que es importante resaltar. Eh, tienen 15 blow safe. This yeah. is so. so, if you take at least the, the half, los Marlins estuviesen jugando sobre 500 con ventaja y y esos son juegos importantes. Al final lo que vimos uh, contra Piratas esta ahorita en, en, en July and then también contra los Mets en el último inning, son, son derrotas que, que pesan y son esos juegos que al final te pueden hacer la diferencia si clasificas o no. Eh, pero creo que el equipo eh, tiene la ofensiva y tiene las piezas para por lo menos mantenerse ganando juegos en julio. No, yeah, it's it's incredible to see. I, I feel like in these type of moments that you mentioned, you know, the Tanner Scott situation, um, getting blown out, you know, all those tough losses, a lot of one-run losses, a lot of blown saves, that can easily turn a team over and just lie down and forget about the rest of the season. But no, the Marlins, they've been pushing back. They've been fighting back. They've been resilient throughout pretty much every game. They've been in every game, minus that blowout in New York. They've been in every game, which is something that we haven't seen a lot with other Marlins teams in the past. If, they, if they're down 4-0, that's it. Like you might have to call it the call it game, you know. <laughs> But this season, we see I don't, some more fight. Um, some I don't know, just more unity within within this team. And I feel like what happened earlier in the season kind of helped this team in terms of chemistry, um, understanding, you know, what's going on, what what are we all here to do, and what is the what is the main purpose and goal of this team so i feel like this has meant such an important stretch for them and the break is going to be important too because they have a lot of guys banged up you know and they would like to have some guys return fully healthy after the all-star break because it's nice seeing you know guys like Fort nick fortes billy hamilton and luke williams like having their moments but you're not gonna they're not gonna be the players that are gonna take you to the playoffs those are the pieces that can make small impacts here and there and it's nice to see but i'm gonna i'm excited just to have a more guys healthy and back on the roster when, the, when we come back from the all-star break but and i'll I, say this you you yeah. mentioned you oh. mentioned luke billy and fortes fortes has been the best out of those yeah. three he has I, been yeah. extremely yeah. impressive he should be the starting catcher over jacob stalin yeah i would it, like it, to see him catch sandy alcantara mm. in his next start and i won't it's truly next level but Stallings isn't providing the offense that you expect and and we knew that was going to happen when they traded for Stallings for Tanner's for Connor Scott uh, Kyle Nicholas and Zach Thompson but Nick Fortes is providing the defense that you know Stallings has been a little bit disappointing with the framing hasn't been the best his defense just hasn't been the best we saw yesterday Nick Fortes threw out two runners and knows O'Neill Cruz a six seven shortstop but He still threw that ball on the dot, got O'Neill Cruz twice. So Nick Fortes really should be the starting catcher for the Miami Marlins. He's providing you in an amazing offense and great defense on both ends. So I really do believe Nick Fortes should be the catcher. I still don't understand what was the mindset going with Peyton Henry at the beginning of the season. It should have mm -hmm. been Fortes from the start after an amazing end of 2021 he had. 
Um, so Forte should be your starting catcher moving forward. I really agree. You, you were really saying agree. something? Yeah, I really agree. Like, uh, lo que estamos viendo de Nick Fortes es, es mm -hmm. increíble porque el equipo al principio de la temporada parecía que no, no tenía un suplente para Stalin mm -hmm. y que iba a ser nuevamente eh, como un problema para el equipo. And then todo parece al revés. Creo que Nick Fortes, eh, tanto la defensiva, porque lo he visto hacer buenas jugadas ante Piratas, hizo un doble play eh, tras un, un toque de bola, un bunt, uh -huh. y, y está, haciendo, está haciendo todo para ser titular en el equipo. Y creo que, es, es como dice Kevin, va a ser interesante si lo vemos un día uh, detrás del plato con Sandy Alcántara. E incluso, eh, quiero saber, o, o me gustaría saber, Who is going to be the catcher for Matt Smeyer? Because oh, that's Buster Fortes. Buster Fortes. Fortes. Okay. And nunca, okay. And nunca, uh, Stallings never caught him. Buster Fortes, porque Fortes in triple A and double A fue el catcher para Mario. Okay. So, okay. That's, that's me sense. Uh, but it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be important for the Marlins uh, tener más confianza en Nick Fortes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, we, we earlier in the season or when he um, was first on the team, he had certain starters that he would catch here and there, but it would be nice to see him start catching the main guys a little bit more, like getting more experience catching Sandy, get a little more experience catching Pablo, because it's going to be, it's tough. It's tough catching guys like Sandy that have so much velocity, so much movement on the ball, and then guys like Pablo who have tons of different pitches and they, and they can throw it at any time because they have the confidence to. So you got to be ready to catch that. You got to be ready behind the plate and get more experience little by little. So I'm happy that we, we've, been, we've seen some bright spots in the season from unlikely sources or unlikely players. And we've seen pure dominance by the players that we expected. So we've had a little bit of everything so far um, in the first half of the season. But it's good to have a break, especially for like the other players, just to get a breather, come back healthy and strong for the second half because they're going to need that push. And But for some players, they're not going to have a little bit of time to rest going to the All-Star break. We know that the Marlins have... Uh, Jazz Chisholm, he's starting at second base. Sandy Alcantara, we don't know. I'm, I hope he's going to be the starter for the National League. He should be. He better be. Straight numbers, filth, everything. Like the eye test, you just need an eye test. You don't need to look at numbers. The eye test will help you on its own. So we have Sandy Alcantara, but with Bryce Harper um, being injured, Gary Cooper has been named, as Kevin mentioned earlier in the show, an, an all-star uh, replacement. So and I, and I am so happy for Gary Cooper because he's had – a, a string of bad luck every year. And then the, obviously the COVID year didn't help anybody. So um, uh, Kevin, let's start with you. What, like, what is your opinion on Gary Cooper being named an all-star and, and, and the impact it has for, on the Miami Marlins organization, having three all-stars for with a team under 500. So yeah, this is the first time the Marlins have three all-stars since 2016. That was Azuna, Rodney, AJ Ramos, and mm -hmm. I think it was Jose Fernandez as well. I'm not sure, Correct. but that they had more than three guys. Miami has that now this season. You're seeing what winning baseball does. They're trying to play winning baseball, and it looks like it's worked. Sandy should be the NL starter, as you mentioned. Jazz is a starter. We'll see if he plays. He just today early in the morning he put out an IG video of him taking batting practice in Jupiter. So that is very good signs. He has to be reinstated from the IL this weekend, though, for him mm -hmm. to make that start. So, gotcha. and then Gary Cooper, I do believe Cooper should have been the, the the NL starter at DH since the beginning of the votes. No knock on William Contreras; he's had a good season, but Cooper has had the bigger sample size. And you just look at that month of June for Garrett Cooper. 
Wow, these are just video game numbers. What he put up: 378 batting average, 418 OBP, 511 slugging, 929 OPS. Just in the month of June, he's having a pretty bad month of July. 178 batting average, but we'll look at the month of June here for now. And then what he's doing in his home and away splits are just incredible. His away, he's hitting over 300. His home splits. Last time we were talking about this, which was when he hit that homer against the Rockies. Mm-hmm. I think he was hitting over. He was hitting over 300. Now he's no longer, but. He's still putting up just amazing stats. Garrett Cooper, at the age of 31, folks, keep that in mind. Age of 31, he's making his first ever All-Star game. And he mentioned this when he was talking to the media about his injuries, how much, you know, not being injured has been helping him. And coincidentally, he gets injured that same day a couple hours later, which yeah. it was, it was, it's really sucked to see. But he looked fine. He played yesterday for a little bit. He played first. Mm-hmm. He made a nice catch there, a good scoop up there on that final game against the pirates but cooper deserved it now other players did deserve that spot over cooper maybe i mean freddie freeman josh bell maybe probably could have been that player but they were in the first basement portion of the voting so right take that over but gary cooper deserves this he should have been in from the start over william Contreras, but he deserves it man and i'm very glad the Marlins have three all-stars i mean we, we we can't you can't stress it enough that this team who goes from having a selected all-star each season now has three all-stars. It's 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 crazy to see how they started to where they are now. Exactly. And Andres, I want to get your take on Garrett Cooper's selection. I know that, you know, it's a player like him. It's so tough to see what he goes through. And then finally, you know, there's no bad luck. Everything's falling into place. And he's in, and he's one of the probably the purest hitters on this team. So it's finally amazing that he's getting recognition for what he does best, which is hitting the baseball. Ale, we're talking about a guy who finished the last four seasons hitting about two, 500. And, and that's amazing. Uh, the last season he finished with two, a four to for average. And mm-hmm. he's hitting right now two ninety five. Uh, Bro, eh, es increíble verlo, verlo sa, eh, sano, healthy en, en esta temporada porque él es importante en, en el line-up y, y me acuerdo que antes de empezar la temporada mucha gente habló de si Gary Cooper iba a seguir con los Marlins, si era una mm-hmm. ficha de cambio. And no, creo que, eh, voy a ser honesto, para mí en estos momentos Cooper siempre debe estar por delante de Jesús Aguilar. Eh, no importa qué, eh, tiene que seguir estando ahí, tiene que jugar todos los días. Ahorita, eh, obviamente, su lesión, la lesión es más importante y hay que mantenerlo sano para lo que queda de la campaña. Pero simplemente es impresionante y estoy muy contento con él. Eh, se veía muy contento cuando habló con, con, con Media y como dijo Kevin, le preguntaron sobre su edad. Y, y creo que eso es otro dato que hay que hablar. Tener 31 años y seguir bateando y alcanzar tu primer All-Star Game Creo que habla de eh, siempre querer competir y siempre querer mostrar el, el mejor del nivel que tienes. Eh, Cooper, eh, espero que verlo en el All-Star Game. Eh, no creo que sea titular, no creo que vaya a ser no. titular en el line-up. El titular pero, va a ser William Contreras. Eh, va a ser William Contreras, pero o va, a ser, va a tomar un turno o dos probablemente y va a ser importante. Eh, y me gusta verlo eh, jugar, eh, es divertido, pero creo que es más allá de él, es todo el equipo. Ahorita los Marlins tienen un equipo muy divertido y que cualquier encuentro en el que vas puedes esperar cualquier cosa más allá de si lanza Sandy o quien sea que vaya a lanzar. Los Marlins están siendo entretenidos en el, en el ballpark. 
you know, you made some really good points, Andres, um, in terms of being a, like that leadership in, in the locker room, you know, being a, um, a guy that, that people can depend to. And you, made, you also made a good point of before the season, there was that chatter. There was that talk of, you know, Cooper and Aguilar. Is this platoon going to work? Is one of them going to be trade bait at some point? Because why are you going to have two um, right-handed hitters, first baseman? They really can't play anything else. You know, you, you know, the DH first base, that's pretty much it. Why have them both? Um, and Cooper has been the clear-cut favorite in that in that platoon. Um, we'll see what the team plans, you know, with how they're going to handle that moving forward. If Aguilar is going to, you know, get st- stick around, how are they how are they going to utilize um, Cooper? Because he, you need that bat in the lineup as much as possible. But at the same time, then you just can't have Aguilar on the bench, you know, for a long period of time either. Because that's another player that needs reps to stay consistent and, and to stay hot. Um, but I also, I just want to talk, go back to like just to put in perspective for our listeners when we talk about the health of Garrett Cooper. Listen to this, guys. So in 2018, he only played 14 games. In 2019, 107 games. In 2020, it was the COVID season, so I, I discounted that. But in 2021, he played 71. And in 2022, he only played 77. And, and so far, in 2022, only 77 so far. Excuse me. What I meant to say is that in 2021, he only played 71. But he and he was hitting 284 right before he got hurt. And and Kevin, you talked about you were there when he spoke about his all-star selection. He mentioned that that in 2021, that's probably the best he's ever felt health-wise, confidence-wise as a player, finally establishing himself at the major league level. And then boom, he gets hurt. So he finally made it to the all-star break. Let's hope he can continue this into the second half. But you know, nothing but love and appreciation for Garrett Cooper. He's one of the good guys in in, in baseball, you know. He always had that positive mindset that of just keep grinding. I'm gonna keep keep going at it because I'm gonna have my moment. I'm gonna have my time, and I'm sure he's also thrilled that you know this year Major League Baseball and the National League they're they're finally using the DH, so that can help him you know stay off the field because we all knew he was a good hitter and Mattingly had to keep him in the lineup, so he was using him in the corner outfield spots and left field and right field. And let's be honest here, guys, he. He he's not that the greatest out there. He's better at first base. He's a he bit of a liability, <laughs> huh? He wasn't good in the outfield. Yeah, he was. He was a bit of a liability defensively. And I and so I think that the DH in the National League has been nothing but amazing for him and many other players as well. He's mentioned, you know, guys who get a little bit older, you know, in their mid thirties and whatnot. So no, it was a great interview and and thank you, for Kevin, for getting that for us and for letting us and letting me listen to it. So to give give us all this amazing content for the show. But um, um, but yeah, it's great to see that the Marlins are getting this attention. Three All Stars, you know, Cooper's gonna have family over there as well. It's close to it's close to home, so it's I'm just so happy for Gary Cooper and for the Miami Marlins in general. So guys, I think we're gonna start winding down this show. We're gonna get into our last segment, and we're gonna give just you a a first half recap, and then give us our expectations for the final series of 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 the of the of the first half of the season. So let's start off with the Philadelphia series. The Phillies are 46 and 43 at the moment, correct? Yeah. So, and the Marlins right now are 43 and 45, but they're 22 and 19 at home. So as Andres mentioned earlier in the, in the episode, they have an opportunity to finish over 500. The last time the Marlins were at 500, I think was May 12th. Was, was against Houston, before Houston. Oh, before Houston. Yeah, before, before Houston. No. No, uh, let me check. Let me check. Uh, well, it was like, it was right. I think I think Alex was right. It was May twelfth because they had that seven game one streak in April. And yeah, you're right. You're right. Horrible, horrible month of May. 
Yeah, you're you're right. Any chance, but I think I think what Andres is trying to get at, and I and I because I was going to mention that as well is that that Astro series, and then right before and then right before we did our last podcast as well, the Marlins have been knocking on the door of 500 for quite some time now. They've been a game under, two games under, three games under, and then they kind of have a little bit of a losing streak, like a small one, and they get back under two games, you know. So they've been, you know, right there on on the door, knocking on the door. So they're two games under, three games left in in the first half. And guys, we like we like we talked about Sandy on Friday, Max on Saturday. So like those, I'm not saying they're they're, they're lock in wins, but the, the Marlins are in good shape to finish, or you know they have to sweep to be, get over 500 to finish the, the first half over 500. But I feel like they're going to be in good shape to do that. Uh, so I'm, I'm, Kevin, we'll start with you about the Philly series. It's it's a big one. It's it's truly the one that I think will define what the Marlins will do at the trade deadline. I mean, I know right now they're what one game under. I, I believe think. forty-three and forty-five. If I'm not mistaken. Forty-three, forty-three, forty-five. Right now. Yeah. Forty-three, forty-five. All right. Mm-hmm. So, if they lose two out of three, mm-hmm. won't, I think you could kind of start saying it's over. But they still have a week left of that month of June of July. I'm sorry. July. So yeah. you still kind of hold some hope, but the Phillies are the team you really have to beat, especially after a disappointing series in Philadelphia where he got walked off twice in that series. Mm. If you guys remember, yeah. Reese Hoskins was the first one. Garrett Stubbs was the second walk-off, which was a three-run bomb, I'm pretty sure. Off Tanner Scott, hanging off slider. Off Tanner Scott, yeah, yeah. It was a meatball. I'll, I'll never forget that one. <laughs> but you you look at this series, it's the team that's right on top of you in the wild card stand. Correct. And in the division. And division games matter a little bit more just because they're worth a little bit more when you when you play a team that's how you then you in the division. So if you take two out of three, it's big time. I think they'll win the Sandy start. I, I really do. You're going up against Kyle Gibson, a soft toss, um, a soft toss pitcher. So that should be a good game for Miami. Although Kyle Gibson kind of did dominate the Marlins last time in Philadelphia. That was the walk-off game against Castano. But then you have Ranger Suarez who's coming off the IL on Saturday, and then Sunday you have Aaron Nola. So it doesn't get much easier. You should be able to sneak in two wins, especially in Max Meyer's debut. Max Meyer is a strikeout pitcher. I'm, I'm almost certain he's more of a strikeout dominant pitcher than a ground ball guy like Sandy. So I do expect them to take two out of three in this series. So we'll see. I mean, Miami really does need to be Philadelphia, especially with no Bryce Harper. I'm pretty sure this team's dropped four in a row. So th- they aren't looking at their best right. The Phillies aren't their best right now, but we sell all of this. And then Miami may lose two out of three in this series because that's, because we went into this Pittsburgh series super confident that we'd be winning three out of four. Right. Look what happens. So I'm not the most confident, but I really do feel good about these pitching matchups that Miami's going into against the Phillies. The only one I'm a little bit scared about is Aaron Nola. And I don't, I, I would have to check out Aaron Nola pitches against Miami, but I don't think it's the greatest pitcher against Miami. Hmm. Andres, I'll flip that. I'm going to flip a statement that Kevin said that I found very interesting. I'm going to flip it over to you. Do you think that this series, no matter what happens, will determine the the tr- uh, how the Marlins behave at the trade deadline. Will they be buyers or sellers, or uh, do you think they're they're going to be buyer like uh, sellers? No, no, no. Creo que sea esta la la serie que defina si si ellos van a ser vendedores o no. Because how how Kevin says like we have July, uh, tenemos todavía días de July y tenemos una serie contra Piratas y Cincinnati mm-hmm. que creo que puede quizás um, volver otra vez a los Marlins a, a llevar a un récord positivo pero sí va a ser importante, como dijo Kevin Filadelfia es justo el equipo que está encima en el wildcard y es el, el rival que tienes en la división 
Y los Marlins le juegan bien a los Phillies. Es un equipo que, que siempre le han jugado bien. De hecho, los Marlins tienen récord de por vida de 132 victorias y 115 derrotas ante los Phillies jugando en casa. Y esta temporada llevan tres victorias y una derrota cuando juegan en casa. Uh, entonces creo que va a ser importante también como mencionó Kevin they don't have Bryce Harper right now, right. y eso, eso hace una gran diferencia, el equipo no es lo mismo, y me atrevo a decir que los Phillies van a ganar eh, los Marlins van a ganar dos de estos tres juegos, van a estar uh, quizás uh, este mes, van a terminar este mes de julio jugando sobre 500 creo que es lo que, que, lo que va a suceder pero no va a ser determinante esta, esta serie todavía eh, más importante creo que va a ser lo que suceda ante Piratas en, de visitante y al final de July cuando jueguen contra los Mets otra vez en casa. Yeah, no, so I, I'm with you there, Andres. And I kind of agree a little with Kevin. I know that like it, it would be a shame to get, you know, they lose two out of three against the Phillies. It does not put them in a good position going into the break. But I still think that there's, there's still some time left to make that um, decision if they're buyers or sellers. I think the trade deadline is when? I think August 2nd? August 1st. August 1st. Okay. So there is still some time, about, you know, a little less than half a month when they, once they come back from the All-Star break. So um, I, I, I still think there's, gotta, there's still some time to see what they have, you know, to offer, especially with guys coming back healthy after the, after the break. Um, but guys, I also – so let's, let's put our hypothetical hats on for a second here. The Mars are going to be buyers. They're going to make a push. They're going to go for the playoffs. What do they need to address then? What's so, um, Andres, if the Marlins are going to be buyers, what's one of the main things they need to, I guess, are, are concerned about that they need to improve? A closer. A closer. A closer, for <laughs> sure. Like, I, I mean, Tanner Scott is not doing bad, but I feel he's not really closer. Um, Puede ser un, un, un guy que te lance un octavo inning y mantenga el juego y, y, y te haga todo para, 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 o sea, sea el preparador para un noveno, pero he's no closer. And, y lo hemos visto esta temporada. Ha tenido muy buenas salidas porque sí las ha tenido. Y es el único que tiene el repertorio y los lanzamientos para ser un cerrador dentro del bullpen right now. But the Marlins need a real closer. Uh, and then probably uh, outfield, one outfield, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, los Marlins eh, necesitan alguien seguro. Kevin y yo estábamos hablando de maybe el nombre que, que más suena es Ramón Laureano. Uh, he's not the best one, uh, but su defensiva es muy buena. Y cuando lo comparas con jugadores como quizás Jesús Sánchez, que no es centerfield uh, natural, y un Avisaí García, que tampoco es el mejor a la defensiva, uh, los Marlins necesitan también un outfield. Creo que esas son las dos piezas más importante es que si los Marlins quieren ser compradores, deben ir a buscar un cerrador y un outfield. Si ellos logran hacer eso, creo que van a estar compitiendo. You know, Brian Dela Cruz also made a play that didn't help his case either. He's supposed, he was supposed to be that fourth outfielder that kind of like, okay, that you put in late in the innings for, for defense over, you know, Soler or whatnot. And he's had his, his blunders in the outfield as well this season, you know, kind of I didn't expect to see stuff like that out of De La Cruz. You know, I thought, okay, like he's gonna, he, he, he's a, a bit better uh, defense and you put him late in the innings uh, and some more speed as well in the outfield, but it's been kind of a concern. It's like, where do, where's, I did not expect this whatsoever from De La Cruz, but of course, you know, some guys are playing out of position like in Jesus Sanchez. So I couldn't agree more with you in that sense. 
Um, Kevin, um, I'm sure you're going to piggyback a little bit of what Andres uh, said of what the Marlins need, but well, maybe you, 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 can, you can provide a little bit more of what the Marlins you, uh, think they need to make a push for the playoffs. So it's funny. I did an article on this, I think, maybe a week or two ago on what yeah. they really need. So the first need was a middle relief guy. They really do need that middle relief reliever. And the first name that came up was Michael Fulmer of the Detroit Tigers. Interesting. The guy who's just having himself an absolute monstrous season as a reliever. He didn't work out as a starter. He could go to that reliever role. Then obviously we need the closer. I came up with David Robertson and David. I think it was David Robertson. That's his name, David. I know it's Robertson from the Chicago Cubs. And then there's David Bednar, obviously, the big target, the, the prized possession of closers in the trade deadline market of the Pittsburgh Pirates, which we saw twice. Um, no, we saw him once in that second in that second game of the series. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at what they need, they need some players that can really capitalize on, on what the offense is doing. We know a big issue with this team is runners in scoring position. They can't capitalize off of that. So I started looking, and the name that came up was Jose Iglesias, Candelita Iglesias of the Colorado oh. Rockies. That wow. guy is a really good player at hitting yep. with runners in scoring position. He's ha he's hitting for almost 300. I think he's hitting a little bit when better he, than group. When the Rockies were in Miami uh, about a month ago or close to a month ago, his he was above 300 at the he time. He was above 300. Yeah. He, he's writing right now. No, he's writing right now 300. Great. <laughs> there it is. And now it's not only it's it's this is all contact because I think he has yeah, like he's not a power guy. He's not a power guy. He hasn't even hit a home run. I'm pretty sure this season. He has maybe he, one. He has no. He has three home runs. Okay. There 30, you go. Th 33 RBIs uh, in 74 games this season. 83 hits. You look at it, and this is this is a perfect acquisition. You may lose a little bit defense, but he's only I think 31 or 32. Miguel Rojas is getting up there in age. This may be a guy who you want to keep on your team as a platoon with Miggy Rowe, especially if we look at the names Miami could be sending out the door. And, and we, I think you mentioned on, on, the re, on the segments that Jesus Aguilar and Brian Anderson could be those big, hot names that could go out the door. I yeah. definitely see Jesus going. B.A. have been back and forth, but I think B.A. will go out of the door because Craig Mish on his last um, Swings and Mishes podcast, he mentioned that he expects one of the infielders to, get out, to be traded. And he said in the offseason, I think they'll do it as early as the deadline of this. They're in a big position. And then we look at center field. That's the other huge need this team has. Jesus Sanchez, after a really surprising start at, at in April, you know, he was playing well defensively. He's hitting the ball well. He's just gone down on a completely horrible trend. Mm -hmm. yeah. Michael A. Taylor is the big name from the Kansas City Royals I would be looking at. Oh, nice. Really good defensively. He's having himself. He was a gold glove winner in 2021. Yeah. He's mm -hmm. having himself a nice offensive season. I think his best offensive, offensive season of, of the season. And then you have Ian Happ, Ramon Laureano, and Brian Reynolds as the other options. Ian Happ, Chicago Cubs guy. He's not a center fielder, but he definitely will provide the bat that the team needs. Better than Avi Garcia, better than Jesus Sanchez, DLC. So he definitely will provide that. He will provide a nice power too. He's having a Garrett Cooper type season, you could say. Not hitting too much for power, but a lot for contact. Good player when runners are, are in scoring position. Ramon Laureano, Andres mentioned it. Just an absolute monster on center field. And he hasn't been playing much center field this season due to Christian right. Pache being in center field. But I think he is playing it now. Christian Pache is in AAA, I'm pretty sure. And then Brian Reynolds. How can he not mention Brian Reynolds? We've been talking about this guy since the 2021 trade deadline. Um, I think that this is cool because Craig Mish made a tweet. It was like a reply, and, and someone asked him about Reynolds, and he mentioned that I don't. He doesn't think they'll trade him, but Miami would be the team that he thinks would get Brian Reynolds. 
So this shows that Miami may have some willingness to give up a, a package. And, you know, and we're, we're really being hypothetical. Is this Max Meyer call-up kind of like a showcase to other teams to see what Meyer could do in the big leagues to then trade him for a big-time outfield prospect? Oh, wow. That's so a hot take right that, there. That just came up in my mind as a hypothetical. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I never even thought of it like that because my mind remember was my mindset. They did with Zach, remember what they did with Zach Gallon? They brought him up for a couple of weeks, right? And they right. Jazz, they got Jazz Chisholm for him. Could they be doing something like this with Meyer? Because his name has been such a hot name since the 2021 trade deadline that they almost traded him for Brandon Marsh. If you remember that trade, that was ready to go through, and then the Angels backed out at the last minute. And speaking of Brian Reynolds, before the season started, when the Marlins were in the market looking for a center fielder or an outfielder. That was a name to be traded. Like the Marlins were linked to that trade was the for name on the market, yeah. and the um, obviously the Pirates wanted Meyer in that package in return. And the Marlins were like, "Hold on, you know, like they they said, let's pump the brakes there for a second. But um, who knows? That's, you know, it's a great point, Kevin. Maybe they are showcasing Meyer. But my mindset was, yeah, like okay, this is a, another building block to put in your rotation to pair with Sandy and Pablo because at some point you're gonna need more guys in that rotation because Trevor. Um, Braxton Garrett's been a, a really pleasant surprise, especially with his recent performance 11 K's, six, six shutout innings. He could be another one that could be on the move, too. Braxton exactly, Garrett. you know, he's been pitching well recently. So, like, and the Marlins have other guys in the system still, like Cabrera, Sixto. Like, I, I, you know, like there's still other guys that, um, Jake uh, Eater, you know, so like there's other guys in the system so that can great Jake Eater, probably 2024 as well, right. Because he, he's not ready. Maybe ends of 2023, we'll see him. And Yuri Perez, you know, Yuri, so there's, yeah. yeah, they have guys that can make an impact at the major league level, or hopefully. So I, I think the Mons have pieces to move around, you know, in terms of in the minor league level, at the major league, league level with um, Aguilar, Anderson. So I, I'm hoping there's movement with this team because if they finish, if they're still hovering around 500, then yes, they should definitely uh, be buyers because. And and, they're, and they and they ta- capitalize on this series against Philadelphia. They're going to gain ground on them in the standings and the wild card standings. I think the Marlins right now are um, they're currently three games out of the final, final wild card spot. So if Miami wins the series against Philly, they have to be buyers. If they aren't buyers yeah. after that series, and you you have to start buying before the August first trade deadline because yeah. you're going up against the Mets. You're that's like one of the final teams. You're that is the final team you will play before August first. You'll get the four-game set against Cincy. You'll get the three-game set against Pittsburgh. But they need to buy before. And I would look at that Mets series as it's a must-win series because that if you gain ground against Philly, they're in such a good position, man. I mean, they would be one game out of the wild card, I think. It's what it would be. You would probably pass San Francisco in the, in the standings right now. You'd probably pass Philly in the standings. So I think it's I teams in front of them. I think it was Philly, San Francisco, and St. Louis. Am I mistaken? Yeah, St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis is tied with with San Diego right now. Oh, okay, okay. So Nets is Phillies, and then San Francisco. Ah, Damian. Okay. So this is interesting now. So this is coming from Swings and Mishes, and this is a quote: "By August 15, I think JJ Blade will be in the big leagues." So, how much is their willingness to trade outfielders right now? I mean. That's actually very interesting now that we see a JJ Blade in the bigs by August 15th is what he's what Mitch just said on his new episode. So July 15th, you said August 15th. I'm sorry. August 15th. Okay. okay. No, it's July 15th. If, we'd be seeing him today. If, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, see him today. And then Max Meyer and, and Blade being called <laughs> up at the same weekend. But but okay, so that's that's interesting then, Kevin. So and and Andres, you can um 
give us your input as well. If Blade is going to be at the, the big league level August 15th, then which outfielder is, you know, because you got to make room for him. You, or could you, gotta... you could you could technically trade Soler with his contract, how it looks like. He's an yeah. opt-out at the end of this year and next year. You know, you have to have assurance from Soler that he will opt out at the end of the season. That's mm-hmm. the thing. If a team wants to use him as a one-year rental, like a Milwaukee Brewers who are in it, they could use him. You won't him get much from him. You won't get much, but you'll get something. You'll, you'll get some major league talent in return. I, I'm almost certain. Or you'll get a top 30 prospect because if Jesus Aguilar could garner you a top 30 prospect, so will Jorge Soler, maybe even two of them. And and that's why I think – and Blade is best at left field. That's what everything says. He would be a left field in the major leagues. He's been playing some center field as well, actually. So with Peyton Burdick out, he's been in center field for a bit. So maybe you'll see him in center field. Maybe that's the guy they want to bring up for center field. It's a lot of hypotheticals. It's a lot of thinking and a lot of roster yeah. construction there. Yeah. but. Now, Blade in the big leagues, that's that's a whole different game. Andres, talk to me about that the, the Blade scenario. Do you think Soler will be the one to go? Avisaya Garcia, what what is the, the how is the roster going to be shaped out if Blade is going to make his debut in August 15th? Escuchando, escuchando todo lo que dice Kevin, um, mm-hmm. eh, que me parece muy interesante. Eh, creo que Soler sería, estaría por encima de Abisail García. Además, pensando oh, yeah. en, en todo el dinero que, que los Marlins invirtieron en, en Abisail, no wow. veo a Abisail saliendo oh, del equipo, pero Soler sí. Primero, porque no ha sido el jugador que los Marlins han esperado. No, no ha traído el poder que, que los Marlins quieren. Y es como dice Kevin, quizás no vas a recibir las mejores estrellas por, por, por Soler, pero you can receive something. Because he's a guy with the power and va a ser va a ser el bateador designado en cualquier equipo if you need it so sí creo que la pieza sería Jorge Soler even though creo que puede ser Brian de la Cruz o, 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 o Jesús Sánchez uno de los dos o podría salir creo que me inclinaría más a, a Brian de la Cruz podría ser usado como como una fecha una una ficha de cambio en tal caso de ser J.J. Blade quien vaya a ser llamado de las ligas menores. Porque no le veo mucho sentido tener a los dos y, right. y tenerlos en una posición bastante parecida y similar dentro del line-up. Pero es como dice Kevin, es todo cuestión de pensamientos e ideas que, que nos llegan a nosotros. Es lo que uno piensa que puede suceder. Al final hay que esperar cómo los Marlins mueven sus fichas. Ahora, no creo que trade the La Cruz, I think they'll do just send him down. Just send him down. He does have a good amount of minor league options. I yeah. mean, remember, when the Marlins acquired the La Cruz, he was in AAA, and he immediately made his major league debut. Yeah, you're so right. I'm looking now and checking how many options he has left. This is according to Fangraphs. He has three options left, so you could technically send him down. Oh, yeah, and you if, can send And if we're option. talking about the possibility of sending down Sanchez as well, because we, he has not been good, I think he has even more options. Oh, he has one option left, so... Oh, they would okay. have to be a little bit picky with what they do with Jesus Sanchez, but it's it's so much hypothetical that we would just have to yeah. wait after the yeah, deadline. Yeah. And this is thinking, what will Miami do after the deadline? Because do they believe J.J. Blade will be a player that will help this team win, especially if you gain ground in this series against Philadelphia? And that's why I say this series is so important because they could be technically in a, they could technically be in the wild card by the end of this series if they sweep the Phillies and things go right on the other end against San, with San Francisco they lose a couple of games Miami would be technically in the wild card I'm pretty sure so we'll see and you know I was looking at Blade's stats and you compare him to a, a similar guy on the Marlins you kind of could compare it to Jorge Soler 
a guy who hits for power, strikes out a lot, but is walking at a, such a good rate. Soler is leading the team in walks right now, but he is also leading the team in strikeouts. Yeah. It's hilarious, but that is literally what Blade is doing with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. And actually, Blade is getting the, hitting the ball a little bit more for contact. So Blade has truly improved from the start of AAA to right now, definitely making himself a call-up candidate. You know, and, it's, and a left-handed bat as well. Some pop. Yep. His power is, you know, it's it's been there for sure. Out of the one of the constants of his game is that his power. So that's nice to see. It's a very big hypothetical situation, but I do love thinking like that, the different roster constructions and whatnot. But that's the type of stuff that we can talk about when your team is in the hunt or is in the thick of things because then you can create this, these different situations, these different trade packages and whatnot. But, guys, we're going to be closing things off here on Episode 6 of First Pitch 305. Just to recap, what you know, you know, know, we talked about a lot, a lot of different stuff today. Max Meyer will be making his debut on Saturday after Sandy Galcantara start tonight against the Philadelphia Phillies. The Marlins are two games under 500 at 43 and 45. You know, three games left before the All-Star break. So they have a chance to be over 500 with a sweep. Um, and yeah, the Marlins right now, I saw, I think are still in the in-between phase of buyers or sellers, still some games to determine what their identity will be at the deadline. But Kevin, starting off with you, final thoughts on today's episode and, and, the and what's going on with the Miami Marlins, just final thoughts on first half of the season. Man, first, I want to thank you for having me on. This was extremely fun. I had a good time, man. We got to do this again pleasure, at some man. point. And finally, we didn't talk about Khalil Watson. I don't know how much you want to get into that, but. Oh, yes. to- oh, yeah. We need sure, to talk about Khalil Watson. He was sent up to AAA. He's not playing. He's not going to be He's not playing. Run. Right, right. He's going to be there for a couple of weeks just to see how guys that are on the on the right there to make it to the major leagues, how those right. guys are going to work, how those guys do what they do, how they go about their business. Because we've seen what happened with Watson and, and Loe, what he did to a ref. I mean, a ref, geez, mm-hmm. to an umpire, <laughs> a first base umpire. What he, his His bad gesture that he made there, he's never played since. That was, I think, July 1st, I want to say, around there, July 1st or 4th, where he did that. So we'll see what happens. But Watson, hopefully, they, they got to go. And the MLB draft is coming up soon. We'll see what the Marlins do with their sixth pick. They, there's a couple guys in contention that we could get. Uh, Tramar Johnson, I guess, is the big name for the Marlins. Although, in the Craig Mish article, they mentioned college-polished bat. Quicker development, you could get him up in the bigs quicker. So we'll see what happens there. I think Brooks Lee is one of the names that you can mention there. Um, the guy from Cal Poly is another one. I don't know his name right now. Well, let's but... see how that route goes because Blade was one of those players as well. Blade was a college guy, exactly. And Adam so, Vanderbilt, you know. So this we'll is see the first it. year where there's no Gary Denbo involved in the draft. Right. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, but once again, thank you for having me on. This was super fun. We got to do this again, and I'll see you probably the Mets series in the press box for sure, for sure. And um, you can follow Kevin on Twitter at Ke- at Kevin underscore Barral. And he remember, he's a Marlins beat writer and reporter for Fish Stripes, and he's the co-host of Fish Stripes Unfiltered. And I think you guys are recording an episode later today, if I'm not mistaken. We are recording right? an episode with J.P. Aaron Sebia of Valley Sports later today. Hey, there you oh, go. Oh, there you go. Frozen pizza. We're going to talk some frozen pizza, actually. Some frozen pizza. I love it. I love it. So you can follow his work there. And Andres, final thoughts. Thank you again, my man, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. I love having this different dynamic with you and Kevin here as well. Andres, final thoughts for today's episode. Uh, Ale, thank you, thank you, Kevin. You are amazing, Kevin. You know a lot of like about Marlins team and the prospect, and mm-hmm. that's amazing. Okay, keep crushing and keep doing what you're doing because 
that's a good thing. And thank you, Alex, again. And creo que le vamos a, a, a esperar y va a ser un mes, va a terminar siendo un mes divertido de julio para el equipo de los Marlins. I agree. Eh, siempre decirles que vayan a ver a Sandy Alcántara, aprovechen eh, la oportunidad. Eh, además, hoy van a tener a Ale y a mí vestidos de hawaiano, porque hoy empieza una temática con Sandy Alcántara. So, it's going to be fun. This thing is fun. And just we'll see what happens at the end of the July. I couldn't agree more. And that's a good, that's a good way of putting it, fun. The word fun has not been used with, uh, associated with the Miami Marlins team in, in quite a few years. So, It's 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 really pleasant and a breath of fresh air to see th this type of excitement revolving around the Miami Marlins. And you can follow Andres's work. He's the beat writer for the Tampa Bay Rays and Miami Marlins for Con Las Bases Llena. You can follow that on Twitter at Con Las Bases Full. And you can follow Andres on Twitter at Andres Bolivar. And that Andres has two E's. So don't forget that. Guys, an amazing episode. I can't wait for I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. And, and get, hear all this exciting news around the Miami Marlins. Do, and, and make sure you go and show up at Lone Depot Park in the second half of the season. This team is exciting. They're on the cusp of something great, I think, you know, depending on how they play for the rest of the half of the month. But yeah, guys, that's going to be do it for that's going to do it for episode six. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Kevin, enjoy your trip to Philadelphia. And Andres, I will see you at the ballpark. Tranquilo y, y tropical. All right, guys, have a great day. Now, hold on.